Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Thursday, November 12th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. Biden's tall task when it comes to climate change. Plus, an El Paso nurse shares her COVID frontline story. But first, a reality check on GOP election challenges. It's today's one big thing. Joe Biden leads Donald Trump in the popular vote by more than five million ballots cast. In the all-important Electoral College, news organizations have projected he'll capture 290 votes. But Donald Trump has not only not conceded, he's actively resisting in a variety of ways. So the question at this point is, what legally stands in the way of Joe Biden taking the oath of office on January 20th? Noah Feldman is a constitutional law scholar who teaches at Harvard, and he's also the host of the Deep Background podcast with our partners at Pushkin. So I have been reading the Constitution today, but I assume you have read the Constitution for you. That's many good for more you. times That's a good, good way to start the day. It's like eating your Wheaties. <laughs> Can you explain how the 12th Amendment says in the Constitution about laying out the transition process? Yeah. The states get together on a given day and they choose their electors and they send those electors as a slate. Congress then meets in a joint session presided over by the vice president. They open the slates of electors, they add them up, and whoever gets a majority, quote, shall be president. And it actually doesn't say in the Constitution that these electors have to follow the popular vote of their state. The way the Constitution is written, it states that it's up to the state legislature to determine the manner of choosing electors. They've all passed laws over the last, you know, 175 years saying the way we choose our electors is by a popular vote of all of the legal voters. What remains open, just because no one's ever been bold enough to try it before, is whether after the election has happened, those state legislatures could then pass a new law saying, we hereby change our minds and are going to adopt a new mechanism of choosing electors. And so those people who are worried that the state legislatures might say, well, the people voted, but they failed to make a choice because there was widespread corruption, not that there's any evidence of any corruption. And that using that excuse, the state legislatures might try to change the rules of the game and appoint their own slate of electors. Trump can't do this on his own. It would take the active collusion of state legislatures in multiple states. It would then require the collusion of Congress, and it would require the acquiescence of the courts, because this is sure to be challenged in court. And then ultimately, the Supreme Court would have to somehow say this was okay. And the listeners of Axios can take it from me. That is not going to happen. And then just one last question. To be clear, right now, the lawsuits that President Trump has filed, those are not unconstitutional. Well, it's lawful to go into court and ask for anything you want, Nyla. I can go into court and say, Axios should make me king of the world. And it's lawful for me to file that lawsuit, but that lawsuit would be laughed out of court. So it's not unconstitutional for him to go to court and make these demands, but for his arguments to prevail would require some real change in the meaning of the Constitution and the laws. You can hear more from Noah Feldman from the Deep Background podcast. He's also a constitutional law scholar at Harvard. Thanks, Noah. Thank you for having me. We'll be back in 15 seconds with Joe Biden's climate change agenda. Welcome back to Axios Today. President-elect Joe Biden has already been getting busy on his plans for climate change, including speaking to many European leaders earlier this week. How he's going to get all of this done is the question Amy Harder is here to answer. 
Amy, Biden really has two jobs here to deliver on his campaign promises, right? Undo what President Trump did, but then also enact more aggressive policies than the Obama administration had. So what's his plan? Well, that's going to be a really tough task because something that makes climate change a really unique problem is that it's a cumulative problem, meaning the longer we wait, the harder it gets to solve. So Biden not only has to repeal what Trump has done, but try to move faster on the federal policy front. And that's going to be a really tough task for a lot of reasons. One big reason being the fact that the Congress is divided. And when we think about Europe, obviously the Paris Climate Agreement comes to mind. The U.S. officially left that last Wednesday. How hard is it to get back in? Well, technically, it's very easy to get back in. The difficult part is holding up to the whole purpose of the agreement. So being in the agreement means that the U.S. needs to submit a pledge to reduce emissions. There's a lot of skepticism among the world leaders on exactly what America can do on this front. And meanwhile, Joe Biden does have this aggressive plan, 100 percent carbon free power by 2035. What are other highlights we should know about what he's hoping he can accomplish? That's a key one. Another big one is $2 trillion in spending on climate and clean energy over four years. I recently spoke to John Podesta, a longtime Democratic operative. He said, well, he's going to have to lower that number if Republicans control the Senate. I anticipate Biden will try to get some of the emission reductions, citing efforts by cities and states, given that the federal government won't be able to do as much as Biden would want. Amy Harder writes the weekly Harder Line column for Axios. As coronavirus cases surge, cities like New York are starting to go back to restrictions they had earlier this year. But in this new phase of the pandemic, cases are happening all across the country. And Texas is now the first U.S. state to surpass one million coronavirus cases. And one of the hotspots is El Paso, which has seen more than 65,000 cases, Hospitalizations are at an all-time high, and medical staff are working around the clock. But they're so overwhelmed, the Department of Defense has sent military doctors to three hospitals in El Paso. One of them is Del Sol Medical Center, where Ariana Lucio is a registered nurse. We called her up to get a sense of what she's going through. The impact of all these rising cases, it's taking a toll on the hospital, on the employees. Day to day, you know, or week to week, we'll notice, oh, now this unit is covid Now we have tents outside the hospital. It's been strange and scary. And what about the nurses FEMA sent? They've been helpful because they fill in those gaps that we have when nurses get sick and then they have to be out for like 10 days or sometimes longer if they still have symptoms. I can't imagine how hard this must be in terms of how many shifts you've been working. I'm currently pregnant, so I've been trying to work my mandatory days. I I do pick up here and there extra shifts, but I know some nurses are working like four days, five days. I imagine also being pregnant makes you be extra careful. Do you feel like you have enough PPE? Right now, we get one N95 per shift. And so basically, we have to wear the same N95 from the time we We go in to the time we leave, which is like 13-hour shifts. We also went out of the shoe covers a few months ago. What I do is I just don't wear my shoes in my car, and I don't wear them inside my house. Ariana, I know you said you've been a nurse for eight years. Why did you become a nurse? Why do you like it? I became a nurse. Um, My mom was diagnosed with breast cancer, and then she passed away, but... 
when they were caring for her, that's when I like thought, oh, that's what I want to do. I want to help people like these nurses help my mom. I mean, I wonder how you feel about what you're doing now. You know, I feel good about it because the patients are alone and someone has to be there. And I always think like we have to do our job, even at times when it's hard, when when we worry about ourselves. You know, that's the oath you take when you're a nurse. You have to be an advocate for patients. The unfortunate bottom line is that this pandemic continues to worsen. And behind the headlines are millions of nurses like Ariana, who are living this reality every day. That's it for us today. You can reach our team at podcasts at Axios.com or find me on Twitter. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.